everyone, and welcome back to the Rumcast. We are the podcast that talks all things rum related with the people who love and shape it. And for today, Will, those two people are just you and I talking about something that I think we as Americans will very much enjoy discussing, American <laughs> rum. <laughs> That's right. A lot of firsthand experience on this one. Yeah, so that will be, you know, fun to, to go over. There's a lot of American rum out there. So I think this will be interesting in how we approach this and try to tackle a, such a big subject that has so much to it. It's a big task, but I think we're I think we're up for the challenge. <laughs> of course. I, I had a recent experience, Will, with going to New York that I wanted That's to tell right. you about before we kind of get started tackling the main subject today. So my wife and I, we went on a trip to New York for a few days. Mm. No kids, Will. No kids oh, for, nice. for the first First time in a long time we've taken a trip since our honeymoon, maybe, with just us. Yeah, wow. yeah. How um, did that feel? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be like too too effusive about it, right? Yeah, no, we, we definitely <laughs> miss the kids. And there's always things that you're like, oh, we, we want to come back and we want to show right. them these things. But at the same time, there is something nice about, you know, a trip where it's just, you know, the couple, you, you know, yeah. me and her, where we get to bond and do all these things. It was her first time in New York. So we did a lot of the, the you know, the normal sightseeing That's type cool. of things. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of rum focus, but there was some really key things that I wanted to talk about. One of which, really quickly, was cool documents. They're in a small museum in this place called Francis Tavern. And this is a Wait, very cool, old... cool documents? Yes, documents. Okay. I thought yeah. I thought like cool documents was the name of a bar or something. <laughs> You're talking about you know what? literal. I'm, I'm take that. Don't don't use that. That's a terrible bar name. <laughs> no one wants to go to a bar with documents uh, in the name, except maybe right. you. <laughs> okay, it so you found like a boring company that does labels or something. Cool. You documents. found some cool historical documents i'm yes. guessing okay yes so in a place called francis tavern where we uh -huh. actually ended up having dinner and some drinks but they have a small museum because this place is super old it's on pearl street there in in downtown and those it's like this little almost founding fathers george washington type of all museum because apparently okay. they met there alexander hamilton and other people and there's some things there that talk about rum and molasses being such a key industry in the 18th right. century and uh -huh. that was pretty cool to see and you know I'll, I'll spare you the boring details on it but just just interesting as a reminder to say at that time when america was kind of coming together mm. how big an industry rum was here and for people at that time. I had a similar experience. I went to Memphis a few weekends ago and went to the National Civil Rights Museum for the... I'd oh. been there before, like on a field trip as a kid, but mm -hmm. I hadn't gone back as an adult. Um, and it's at the, the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, which is where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So they've kind of turned the site into this, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a memorial, but also a museum that like tells the entire like history of civil rights starting obviously with the slave trade and you go through you know a, a bunch of exhibits and there's one that has an entire like wall that's all about the rum trade and and obviously mm. it's you know the awful parts of it that you know are part of the history and everything but it it really is shocking as you see just how massive of an industry it was in in you know that early part of the country and yeah, it's just, I feel like any time now as a rum person that you like run into those little, there are so many little reminders of like rum's 
tie-ins to American history and you can like yeah. run into it anywhere. You in New York, me in Memphis. So it just brought that to mind for me. No, I totally agree. And it's an interesting setup for as we talk about the modern kind of, you know, rum landscape now for that. But before we get to that, I did want to mention also another highlight of the trip, which was a place near Times Square called the Rum House. Okay. Yeah. I'm so I'm familiar with this place. I haven't been. It's one of those things okay. that like I looked at last time I was in New York, but I was like, just didn't have time. So how was yeah. the rum house? So, and you remember, I went in November for a trip to mm-hmm. New York, and I didn't get to go there then. But what I was saying then was, man, I was surprised that New York didn't have as many rum places as I thought it would have. So we, I really tried to make an effort this time. Actually, I should give the credit to my wife, who really made the effort <laughs> to say, hey, we're going to go to this place because I found it for you, and I think you'll enjoy Aww, it. So thank nice. you to her for doing yeah. that. So we go in there and it's a small, you know, little place, but they've got an impressive rum selection, decent. So we look over, you know, the menu for that. And the first thing that struck me was, holy cow, it's very expensive for neat pours. Oh, yeah. Um, What's the range that we're talking? Well, I mean, they had anything from, I would say, $18 or so all the way up to like 120 Foursquare ECS was like 50 to $70 for a neat pour one ounce bargain and i was like right? that's not gonna happen <laughs> so now i'm i'm like okay well you know i'm not super like a cocktail guy but i'm here and this place looks like it has really interesting cocktails so uh-huh. my wife said well just get a cocktail so i did i got this cocktail well i had to tell you about this okay because number one i really enjoyed it i thought All it right. was very good and so this was called smoke on the water is the name that they gave this cocktail okay and it was a plantation dark rum worthy park 109 Calvados, heavily smoked Lapsang Sushung tea. Okay. Something called Punt MS, which I'm not even sure what that is. That's to be vermouth. With you. Punt MS. Oh, that's just vermouth. It's, it's sweet, ah. sweet vermouth, yeah. Okay. Honey and then green chartreuse. Oh, that sounds awesome. It was fantastic. Yeah. I'm giving it the fantastic gullah seal of <laughs> approval. Yeah. It was it was really, really good. I enjoyed it. It wasn't it was spirit forward, as you might yeah. expect, which I really liked. And just overall had a great experience. And you know, as I said, I don't drink too many cocktails, so two of those and I was like, Woo, we were enjoying New York very fast. Yeah. <laughs> so. I feel like it's also timely because I'm guessing you may not have heard about this, but there's kind of, I don't want to contribute to panic buying, but there's a little Mm. bit of panic buying going on around green and yellow chartreuse right now because mm-hmm. do, you, do you know much about about chartreuse and, and how it's made you should enlighten me more because i know a little bit but probably well, not i know i'm not an expert i just okay. know I, I believe it's made in france and i, I believe it's made by monks as right. it has for like hundreds of years and i i don't know how true this is but what i've seen a little bit online is that the monks are basically like you know we're not really interested in like spending more time on chartreuse. You know, it's kind of like distracting us from whatever else monks do all day. Monk things. <laughs> I assume they do other <laughs> stuff besides making this this very delicious, like, expensive liqueur. But so yeah, like a lot of like like a lot of people online and like cocktail communities are just posting, you know, photos of chartreuse in stores and like loading up on stuff. I actually I I've been to a few liquor stores in Nashville over the past few weeks, and I have specifically looked for it and haven't seen it anywhere. You know, you said you weren't trying to do the panic buying, but now I feel like I have to go <laughs> I don't want to encourage panic buying. Immediately like... <laughs> after we're done with this. <laughs> that would be quite um, a purchase for you as a non-cocktail person. Do you know how much a bottle of green chartreuse will, will set you back? I want to say $40 here. Uh-uh. 
No, it's going to be more expensive. I mean, everywhere I've seen it, it's usually over sixty dollars. Yeah, and that's I mean, going back several years. So I mean, if you found it somewhere for forty dollars, I'm not calling you a liar, but I'm saying that would be an amazing deal. That would be like finding I don't know a four square ECS release for like. 60 bucks or something. I have a memory of it being in the 40 to 50 dollar range here, but maybe yeah, was it was it the 375 bottles cuz they maybe. some that places sometimes have those. That um, could be. That could yeah. be. Yeah, to your point, that's not my usual area, so <laughs> I don't don't have the the memory banks fired up for that. But yeah, so, so it was a really good drink and and I'm I'm really thankful for the experience. So I have to kind of acknowledge one thing before we get into our our subject here okay. today, Amer- American rum, which mm-hmm. is that one of the things that led me to contact you to start this podcast up in the first place was that you were doing the AmericanRumReport.com, right. which I found is a, a great resource for all things related to American rum and just felt like this is a guy who's doing something, <laughs> who knows what he's, what he's wanting to do. I didn't have a soft spot for American rum in the same way, and I felt like you know, that, that was something interesting that you were doing that led me into wanting to talk to you more. So, you know, I felt like we had to acknowledge It brought that us to together. Begin. And yeah, it, it's interesting. The, the first thing I ever did content-wise related to rum was making American Rum Report. And part of the reason why I did that was because I knew I wanted to write or create some type of content about rum. And I was honestly like, there was already a lot of great content out there about Caribbean rum, rums around the world. Mm-hmm. And I was I was kind of intimidated about trying to do something about the wider rum world. And I just kind of noticed like how there were, it felt like hundreds and hundreds of distilleries in the US making rum. And whenever I tried to find out information about their rum, you know, like how it's made, mm-hmm. all that stuff, it was really hard to wrangle all the details. So I was like, no one has a place that has all these details. I could yeah. do that. And You're like, since, someone should do since, this. Well, I was like, since no one else is doing it, I can uh, do it. Okay. And I don't have to like, you know, be afraid of like my stuff not being as good as someone else's. So it was like, no one else is writing about this. I can write about this. And then when I met you and we started you know, both had talked about wanting to do a podcast kind of, but not really mm-hmm. knowing what to do. That was the nudge, I think, that having someone else in it with me made mm-hmm. me a lot more confident in being like, okay, like we can't, we can talk about all rum, you know? It doesn't matter that other people are creating great content about rum. There's yeah. there's room for more. So yeah, it's oh, cool. kind of, American rum was kind of the first little step. But I think the the purpose of this episode today, so we've done a handful of episodes now, kind of got rumcast guides to rums of other countries. We did Jamaica, we did mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, we did Mexico. So mm-hmm. I think I think those are the three we've done. And, you know, at some point we want kind of a, a full comprehensive set, but we're not really, you know, trying to do them all one after the other. I think just over the course of the next couple of years, we'll probably get a lot of these out. But we thought it would be As fun it strikes to... Our fancy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, we thought it would be fun to do American rum because I think it's a category that is like, there's so much stuff going on. It's it's just hard to kind of understand what it is, who's making stuff that's worthwhile, what are like the stylistic characteristics mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So we kind of want to make this episode, you know, a guide for people to sort of get 
acquainted with the category and sort of like know where to look to hopefully find some quality stuff because there is quality stuff, but there's also just a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so it yeah. can be hard to find the the most interesting stuff. And then it can also be hard to get it just because the nature of distribution in the US and the fact that almost every distillery we're about to talk about on this episode is relatively young. Um, the vast majority, I would say, started within the last decade. So they're starting small. They can't just be everywhere from the get-go. There's, there's not millions and millions of dollars behind most of these places. Some have investment to work with. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I, I think like a good place to start is just, first of all, for the purposes of this episode, how are we defining American rum? Like what areas of the globe are we talking about? Because that can be kind of confusing because we have, there's the United States of America, there's North America, right. there's South America. For the purposes of this episode, we are basically tackling the mainland United States. So any rum made in all 50 states. And there are parts of the U.S. that go beyond that. Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States, for example. Right. Puerto Ricans are American citizens. So, however, well, we, we chose... that completely, right? Exactly. Yeah. We chose, we chose yep. to cover that separately, not to exclude Puerto Rican rum from the category of American rum, but just because right. Puerto Rican rum is kind of its own distinctive mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It would almost feel like an insult to me to just like lump Puerto Rican rum in with American rum because modern American rum is all so new. And while there is a history of it, there's not that continued history, really. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Puerto Ricans have been making rum continuously for, you know, a few hundred years now. And like they have their right. own rum identity, rum style. So it's a thing that kind of needs to be discussed separately. But, you know, it's not to exclude anyone from being an American rum. I think you could you know, technically call it that if you wanted to, but we have a separate episode for that. We'll link to in the show notes. And then also, you know, there is some stuff going on in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which are also Mm -hmm. a territory of the United States. But Mm -hmm. again, we kind of just want to let those be their own separate things to tackle at some point. And for the purpose of this episode, focusing on the 50 states. So that's where we start with. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've covered some stuff of of American rum in the past. We do have episodes where we've talked with Kyle from Kohana Rum. Mm -hmm. You had a a great episode where you talked with Richland Rum, as well as a few other distilleries. Mm -hmm. So there is some content that we've done, but we've never kind of wrapped all of this up in this way and kind of tried to to do our best to tie a bow on what is American rum or how can we kind of break that into something that makes sense for people. And I think that, that the next part of that is what does that mean stylistically? You mentioned, I think, earlier, how do you even categorize this because it's so broad right. and diverse mm-hmm. that you have to say, okay, well, is there one American rum style in the same way as there is a Barbados or a Jamaican style? Right, and I right. Think, I, th- I think we can answer that. I- I'm going to answer that to start yeah. with and say, no, mm-hmm. I-, I don't think you can do that with all American rum because there's just these different places doing different things. So I think that that's probably where we have to start with talking is how do we break that up? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think this is one of the first questions people have is like, what is like the American style of rum? And people often expect an answer that would be comparable to if you were describing Barbados rum or Jamaican rum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, that just doesn't exist for American rum for a couple of reasons. One is like I was saying earlier, so many of these, I'll go beyond so many, 99.9% of these distilleries have only started within the last 10, 
to 15 years with the vast majority being in the last 10 years. So a lot of these places are still figuring out their own style. Number one, they haven't been, they don't have this continued history of hundreds of years where, you know, you go to Jamaica and each distillery has its own distinctive style, but there is kind of a a through line where you Mm -hmm. can recognize Jamaican rums. That's one thing. It takes time. Exactly. It takes time. Mm -hmm. And then the other Mm -hmm. reason, and this is kind of why I think I don't, even if all these distilleries kept distilling for the next 100 years, I still think 100 years from now, I don't think there would be a satisfying definition of American rum. And the other reason for that is look at the U.S. on a map at just how ge- like physically large it is, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. territory it takes place. So what that means is, you know, different parts of the country have slightly different cultures. I think that's true of, of smaller countries a lot of times too, mm-hmm. but but it's geographically the environment someone is in when they're making rum in Louisiana, for example, is like night and day from right. the environment someone is going to be making rum in if they're in like Minnesota or right. Maine, you know, or well, it's Washington. it's not only geographic, but it's cultural in some yeah. sense, right? Uh-huh. So too. there's even that cultural basis. And I don't necessarily mean like cultural all the way back from like immigrant population type of thing. Although mm-hmm. in some cases like Louisiana, the French, sure. you know, yeah. d- definitely makes its way in. But also, just the fact that even today, the culture of America can be different in different places and how yeah. that kind of modern culture affects how people are doing things. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, I, I think all those are reasons why there's not really a quote-unquote American style of rum. And another question people have a lot is just like, how many distilleries are there, you know? In the, in the U.S. making rum, and that number is a moving target, but the estimation I feel comfortable with putting out there would be anywhere from five to 700 distilleries making rum right now. And these are not all rum distilleries, which we'll get into that more in, in just a bit, but I think with that established about there not really being an American rum style, I do think that there are some common characteristics you see from these okay. new distilleries, though. Some of those, I think, one, we'll talk about right away for the rum geeks. You know, we always talk about pot still rum, column still rum. Most of these distilleries are going to be using batch distillation. So, mm-hmm. again, most of these are small. So, you're not going to see a lot of, you know, huge, continuous, multi-column distillation and things like that. You're going to see a lot of either straight up pot stills. You see a heck of a lot of hybrid stills, which yeah. kind of allow the distiller to mix and match. Yeah. So, but you why see- do you think that is that that there isn't as much of the continuous and it's more of a batch distillation? I it's have just, a thought, but yeah, it, I think it's just scale. I mean, yeah. to start with that kind of still, I mean, those stills are huge and right. they're very expensive so right and they make a ton of rum so it, was, the, like the, yeah well, yeah when, you, when you're starting small it just makes sense to to be doing batch distillation from like and an, there's no way you can compete with the likes exactly. of those that are already out there doing that and, and so it just doesn't make sense from two perspectives right one yeah. is the expense and two is how are you going to try to do that to mm-hmm. start with on right. a scale like that that's going to compete agreed right yeah. yeah so you see you see a lot of batch distillation a lot of pot still distillation You see one thing that's very common here and that I think can be a positive thing and a negative thing Mm -hmm. is you will notice quickly a a lot of places aren't just using molasses or cane juice. And you will find a good bit of cane juice in in the U.S., which we'll we'll talk about Mm -hmm. soon. But 
the other kind of sugarcane byproduct that you see a lot is are various forms of crystallized sugar. And I think when rum enthusiasts see that, their first instinct is to be like, you know, Turn like, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. what? So they're just, you know, using like bagged white sugar. I mean, you know, it's technically like by by the definition of rum in the United States, that is still rum because you can, yeah. it, you just have to take literally anything that comes from sugar cane. It's so, a little bias towards that. Yeah, it, well, yeah, and I think it makes sense because so the the complicated thing with crystallized sugar is that there are many, many, many different types of it. There is just the white sugar that comes in a bag that you mm-hmm, bake mm-hmm. with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff but there are also lots of less refined raw forms of sugar and the complicated thing with that is like there's also highly processed sugar that is made to look like less refined sugar where it's actually mm-hmm. just kind of like dyed or whatever but oh, interesting in, in the so sugar like the making terminado type of stuff you're talking about well, well like so so <laughs> I'm not an expert in in types of sugar, yeah, but yeah. my understanding is there's types of turbinado that are basically just like refined sugar dyed. that is dyed. Mm-hmm. And then there are types that actually are less refined. But okay. the, the point being is that during the sugar making process, sugar goes through stages. And the first form of sugar that you can get, which is you know unrefined raw sugar, it doesn't come out pure powdery white. It's brown. It's kind of sticky. It has more character to it you know maybe Mm -hmm. bits of molasses that are still kind of in there and so i think i've had rums made from that style of of sugar that i i wouldn't have known blindfolded like i would have just guessed it it was a molasses rum Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i do think there are good ways of doing it but i've also had ones that are terrible Mm -hmm. and that you can kind of they either have no character or they're 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 just straight up bad it just seems harder to, well, to produce a good rum with that as your base. So it's actually not. Um, okay. I understand where the thought is coming from, but part yeah, of the yeah. reason why so many distilleries do this is because molasses is extremely difficult to work with, especially if you're not able to source, I want to say like higher quality, like basically less refined molasses. So you see a lot of distilleries talking about like we use grade A molasses, like what does grade A molasses mean? And there are various definitions of that, but molasses is kind of similar to what I was just talking about with sugar, which yeah. there are various stages of molasses because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there you can buy molasses, like straight up blackstrap, modern blackstrap molasses, which is like the last version of molasses from the sugar refining process. It is, has almost no fermentable sugars left in it and right if you went back in time 100 years and looked at blackstrap molasses then that wouldn't have been true because basically you know the goal of the sugar refining process is to extract as much sugar as possible so they can sell it as crystallized sugar it's not to make they're trying to be efficient exactly it's not it's not to make great molasses but Mm -hmm. um as technology has advanced sugar mills have gotten better and better at taking as much sugar as possible out of the molasses so if you buy straight up blackstrap molasses now a lot of times it's not going to make very good rum and so in order because during fermentation like you need sugar in fermentation to yeah. because sugar is converted into alcohol so a lot of times they'll get a, a you'll see a lot of distilleries that say like we use molasses and we use you know some form of mm-hmm. crystallized sugar mm-hmm. and sometimes that's because the molasses that they're able to get just is is very bad yeah. if they just mm-hmm. used 100 percent that molasses so there's there's i'm kind of I'm, I'm generalizing a bit but i'm trying to give people an idea of like why they see that and you know i I think like crystallized sugar in a lot of cases you know molasses is thick and sludgy and i I just Mm -hmm. feel like it can be easier to kind of deal with but 
Anyway, that's not to say there aren't distilleries making rum with 100% molasses because there are a lot of those too. Again, the, the, the problem is like you can say, let's say there are 100 distilleries in the US that are doing mm-hmm. 100% molasses rum. Like mm-hmm. that's a shitload of distilleries. I mean, they're yeah, small, it but it just numbers yeah. wise, that's a lot of distilleries. But All maybe, in direct competition for that molasses in a way, right? Sure, possibly, yeah. Some, um, somewhat, yeah. But at the same time, like that also might mean there are like 300 distilleries using some form of crystallized cane sugar. So like mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. say there are a lot using molasses, but odds are if you try one, there might be more still, even though there are a hundred, you know, yeah. there might be yeah. more that are using something else. So it's just, it's, it's, it's just a very unique category of, of, of rum across the world right now. Cause there just aren't other countries that have something that comparable, like the, the closest thing, which isn't really it's just kind of close maybe numbers wise is how many small rum producers there are in haiti for example you Mm -hmm. know making clarin but again a completely different style but it's a similar thing where like there are hundreds of producers but they're they're all very small and you're starting to see distilleries that i stylistically i would say are comparable to what you see in american rum in countries in europe so we've Mm -hmm. talked about like we had ninefold from scotland on here yeah that is a distillery that i think is comparable to the kind of the style, like a lot of distilleries you see in the U.S., Rummy Club in 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 Amsterdam, Netherlands, yeah, the yeah. Netherlands, Australia is another good example. But none of those places have the sheer like volume of distilleries that that the U.S. does right now. So the U.S. is just even more confusing because there's so many people. Um, another thing that I think is a common characteristic is you see a lot of distilleries that on top of making their own rum are also sourcing rum in some oh, yeah. way. And yeah. that's something you see with craft distilleries. I, I'm sure, you know, from your bourbon days, you probably ran into this a lot with new distilleries MGP. that are yeah. are making bourbon. Yeah. And they're sourcing right. from MGP or, or, yeah. or someone else because, you know, with, with whiskey, it's tricky because you literally can't sell it as bourbon until it's aged so a lot of times to have like they can sell their white whiskey or whatever but you know that can be kind of a tough sell for a lot of people rum is a little different in that you can sell like call something rum and sell it as rum from day one because it doesn't have to be aged but you know selling unaged rum can be tough there's a lot of competition for that and so a lot of places while their rum is aging they source rums from the caribbean you know a lot of people work with ena shear places like that and do their own you see a lot of places blending their own rum with other rums from around the world so that's just kind of an interesting feature i think you see from the category and can lead to like some some pleasant surprises a lot of times it's also just they're sourcing something and putting out a blend it's they're almost working a little bit like an independent bottler so it's just like you know it's it's more rum for americans to have access to but it's not american rum then, yeah, it's right? American rum in in the sense that, you know, Holmes Key or whatever is, and it's an American company sourcing right. rums from other places. So what's being made here as American rum versus what's being offered. I exactly. Guess you would say. Um, so the last thing I'll say about big, broad picture about American rum, I generally like to tell people that there are two types of rum producers in the US. There are rum distilleries and there are distilleries that make rum so (laughs) rum distilleries are distilleries that were built 
to make rum like like For rum the is their mm-hmm. yes rum like mm-hmm. they are a rum distillery rum yep. is their primary product in in many cases it's the only type of spirit they make that's probably the minority of rum producers in the u.s because the mm-hmm. other type of distillery are distilleries that make rum so these are distilleries that make a bunch of stuff their primary mm-hmm. thing might be whiskey and maybe they just do a white rum here because again that's something they can sell right away rum immediately and gin, right yeah, yeah, rum, gin, vodka, and rum is just kind of another spirit for them. So, you know, that number five to 700, I, I would guess that, you know, three quarters of that, at least, are probably distilleries that make rum, while rum distilleries are the smaller, that's like the exceptions, basically. That's and part of what makes it so hard, I yes. think. For me, that's the one that makes it more difficult to start finding the ones that are really having taking pride. That's not to say any distillery is going to distill something and hopefully have pride in what they're putting out. But there's a difference there when your aim, you start with something in mind, your vision, and you say, we want to do this rather than just like, well, we've got the equipment. Let's just buy some molasses or some sugar and see what happens. Exactly. Right? And, and that's so hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think most people's minds, they immediately go to, okay, that probably means the rum distilleries are making the good stuff and the distilleries that make rum are making yeah, like forgettable or think. just bad stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would say that's mostly true, but there mm-hmm. are also exceptions to that because okay. I've had I've had rums from rum distilleries, you know, where all they do is rum and I'm sorry to say sometimes it's still bad. Like sometimes yeah, you yeah. need, you know, you can be passionate and and, mm-hmm. and be into right. it and everything, and it doesn't still always result in in good rum. By the same token, I've had rums from distilleries that make rum where it's not their thing at all, and they just happened to have done a like a really good job. Like it's it's not guaranteed that just because it's not their main thing, they won't bring a lot mm-hmm. of skill and and knowledge and passion to the table. Just as the opposite is true as well. So that being said, though, I think most of the places that we're going to discuss today are the former category, rum distilleries. So distilleries right. that are built around rum, and, and there will be some exceptions here and there. But yeah. we'd be so- here all day if we tried to do them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that's a good point. So we are not going to be able to be comprehensive on this. So yeah. I, I we're, we are going to talk about some specific distilleries and we can't talk about them all. I already know we're going to leave out some places that we probably should have put in. Some of that will be just because, you know, we can't talk forever. Some of that will just be oversight. There's there's a lot. So apologies in advance to anyone we didn't mention. Chances are you weren't left out specifically. It was just, you know, we can't we can't talk about everything. But I think we're taking a bias toward things that we have either personally had Right. Or things that are maybe we haven't tried, but are but stand out in some way. The, mm-hmm. the they they have something notable about them, something that differentiates them from from the crowd. A reputation or yeah. yeah, availability. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and and run through those. Hey, Rumcasters. One year ago this month, John and I launched the Rumcast Patreon community, which gives listeners a way to not only support the show, but also access bonus episodes, online happy hours we host every month, and we also give them early access to ad-free versions of our standard episodes, like the one you're listening to now. So, To celebrate the one-year anniversary of the community, we're doing something we haven't done before, which is we are launching annual subscriptions now that allow you to save 10% of the yearly cost. So it's it's basically like giving yourself a month free 
plus a little extra. So if you want to check that out, if you want to join the almost 100 listeners now who have already come along for the ride, you can head to patreon.com slash the rumcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the rumcast to check it out. We'd love to see you there. Now back to the show. All right, so we're back to talk about American rum producers here. And Will, one of the things that I start thinking of when I even try to tackle this and how many there are, like we talked about, is how do we even begin to approach this in a way that will make sense so we're not just jumping around the map everywhere or just going from place to place? I think kind of what I suggest with people, or I guess kind of the way I've started to think about American rum, because we talked earlier about how there's not really an American style. I mentioned, I don't really think there ever is going to be an American style, like the way Mm -hmm. that there is, you know, a Barbados style, a Jamaican style. What I do think you might have a chance of seeing, you know, decades from now are distinctive regional styles. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that I think about rum regions in the United States, I kind of think about three categories. So the first category is like places that have access to sugar cane. Like actual cane fields yes. and cane, growing cane themselves or it's nearby. Exactly. Either, okay. either they're growing it, someone near is growing it, or mm-hmm. there is a sugar industry. Right. So these places, a place with industry... That limits would, you, right, to only certain regions warm places coastal places mm-hmm. so louisiana that's that's really like the, the biggest sugarcane region in the u.s in terms of amount of sugarcane grown and mm-hmm. it actually still has a very large sugar refining industry so uh, distilleries there a lot of times have access to they, they can get easier access to better quality molasses better mm-hmm. quality raw sugar products juice in some cases hawaii is another place there is no sugar industry anymore in Hawaii. They mm-hmm. did. They used to have mills and everything. I believe the last mill closed several years ago, I want to say, within the last 10 years, I think. Mm-hmm. But there are producers growing sugarcane now because the climate is pretty perfect for it. And there's mm-hmm. a history of, of sugarcane there. Um, you also just see kind of smaller little random places pop up here and there. Florida, obviously good environment for sugarcane. You see yeah. some people doing stuff with it there. Georgia, really just one producer in Georgia to my knowledge, but we'll talk about that. And you you see all sorts of random places. I, I saw a place like in, I want to say Nevada, that was growing a small amount of, really? of sugarcane. And Alabama too, South Alabama, there's, you know, you'll, you actually still see little stands and stuff for advertising cane syrup and stuff if you drive, mm-hmm. drive around in South Alabama. But um, Guarapo so, here. Oh, Gu- Guarapo. Guar- yeah. Guarapo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so places that have cane is one region. The other region, I would say, is places that have kind of a rum tradition of sorts. And so the one for that in the United States would be New England, just because, you know, during the colonial era, there were tons of rum distillery, hundreds of rum distilleries in New England. Lots of rum was made there. And really, rum production continued, like it, it, it got a lot smaller. But even through the early 20th century, there was still rum being made there. New England rum was an actual category 
defined in the U.S. Code of Regulations. Funnily enough, it, it did not have to be made in New England. <laughs> um, like, there were there were <laughs> wait, distilleries. Wait. There were distilleries. New in England Kentucky. rum didn't have to be made in no. New England. Is that what you just told no. me? No, it, like it it, it basically became kind of like a marketing tool because oh, wow. because people like New England rum was a brand. You know, it had it had a reputation oh. not just in the U.S. but or various places around the world. I you think can, you just gave Richard Seal a heart attack just, <laughs> just from that. You, you can you can find there were distilleries in Kentucky, you know, that were primarily whiskey distilleries in in the the 20th century that were also making rum and selling it as New England rum branded stuff. I, I think the only requirement to be labeled New England rum, I think it had to be made in the U.S. And there was like a proof limit of the rum coming coming off the still. I want to say it was like somewhere in the 180s or something like that. Like it okay. can't proof mm-hmm. can't be higher than this. So mm-hmm. you couldn't do like the super, super, super light style rum and it be New England rum, but you could make mm-hmm. it anywhere in the U.S. But so anyway, there, New England play, uh, distilleries do have kind of that, I guess, historical cachet of New England rum. So that's the other one. And then lastly, are just the exceptions. So obviously rum is made in tons of places outside of those places. Right. And you'll find some, you know, high quality rums made outside those places. A, a lot of listeners will probably have heard of Montagna because they've been around for a mm-hmm. long time. They have distribution internationally. Karen Hoskin is very present at rum events, rum festivals and things like that. They're made in Colorado in the mountains. And, yeah. you know, they can kind of define their own style of Colorado rum or like They're the only Rocky game Mountain in town, rum, right? whatever they <laughs> want to call it. I mean, there are other distilleries in Colorado making rum, but you know, they're they're kind of doing their own thing more so, mm-hmm. I think, than these places that either have, you know, historical ties or they are distilleries all using the, like locally sourced stuff from the same place. To mm-hmm. me, that's more where a style can coalesce around. But so right. we kind of want to jump around some of these categories. We're going to talk about some of the distilleries and places that have the cane, some in places that have the the New England rum history. G- yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also places that are exceptions to those. So just places that we've either tried outside of those regions or that are notable in some way to talk about. So I think yeah. the first place we want to tackle is we're going to go as far west as possible and Mm -hmm. start in Hawaii. And as you said, we have an episode on Kohana rum, so we won't talk too much about, you know, everything going on there. But I I do think there's kind of a through line with Hawaiian distilleries. There's several there. We're going to talk about three, but there are more than three. But kind of what holds them all together, you see a lot of use of local heirloom sugarcane, yeah. You know, for cane juice rums, you also see people investing in sugarcane product, like local sugarcane production, with kind of the hope of recovering access to local sugarcane byproducts. So, you know, more refined yeah. sugar products, people that aren't using juice. I feel like with Hawaiian rums, my impression of them is they take their cane seriously. Like, I, f- I feel like, and that's mm. not just Kohana, but also some of the other ones we're going to talk about is it feels like the cane mm. is central or important takes a place of importance for them in Hawaii. And and maybe that's to do with what you had talked about, which is that, hey, the sugar cane that's being produced there is not for the sugar industry. It's specifically for the purpose of making rum, right? And just local use, I guess. That That's my understanding. You know, one of the distilleries we'll talk about is Kaloa, which is the, the, the one out of the three we're going to mention that isn't using cane juice. And okay. They started in 2009, and I believe when they started, they still had access to 
local Hawaiian sugar. And they're they're using some form of, of crystallized sugar to make their rums. Mm-hmm. They're not using mm-hmm. molasses to my knowledge. And so they were using that, like they could say, you know, they're using Hawaiian sugar cane products right. to make their rum. But when that mill closed, they had a finite amount, you know, left over. And so they're yeah. gonna run out of it at some point. Um their CEO, Bob Gunther, he has a background in the sugar industry in Hawaii. I don't remember specifically what he did, but I know in the last five years or so, they've made substantial investments, not only in planting their own sugar cane, but also working with farmers locally who are gonna grow some sugar cane for them. And their goal is to be able to eventually get back to using 100% Hawaiian cane for whatever kind of crystallized sugar they're using for their rum so that will obviously involve having to refine it in some way so i, I don't yeah. know if they're like building or like we, we see that in, in barbados right now amount gay just made built their own sugar mill that's right so they can you know make their own molasses which again you can't just take juice and and turn it into molasses you know without having the equipment to to make sugar so you kind of also have to make sugar if you want to do that so yeah then, so i don't know that... i don't know if they have plans also to like sell you know sugar beyond just making rum because like like a worthy park for example they make all their own molasses but they also they sell you know bagged crystallized sugar so they're also in the sugar business so Mm -hmm. i don't know if they have plans for that or not to my knowledge they don't but they could just because again i know they're not using juice so maybe they're going to use all that crystallized sugar to make their rum i'm not entirely sure but on the other hand kohana and kuleana rum works the other two we're going to talk about they're Mm -hmm. using all they're making cane juice rums and your 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 point is exactly correct like they are cultivating growing sugarcane just for the purpose of making rum they're not interested in turning any of it into sugar to my knowledge so yeah there's there's a a, a focus on sugarcane production is like directly tied to rum there right which makes it a, a kind of a it's not unique but it's a, a special case there where it feels like it's really a part of their local process you know their their focus i guess for those two right right yeah and you'll also see i, I know kohana and kuleana both are working with heirloom varietals of sugarcane so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these are you know older styles of sugarcane that weren't bred specifically for making you know processed crystallized sugar which those you know those varietals have been kind of cultivated specifically just for the purpose of like maximizing sugar production over the years the kind they're using were not like that so i think that's the main contrast between them is also sugarcane varietals um like we mentioned we had an episode with kohana their whole philosophy is they want to work with a bunch of different varietals but every rum they produce is from a single sugarcane varietal so that people can taste the differences Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the various types of sugarcane or co as they call it kuleana is a little bit of a different approach they are using heirloom varietals but they're less concerned with we're going to isolate everything where it's just like the different cane and so you can taste all the different varietals they're actually doing a lot of blending they do have a bottling of their own fresh cane juice rum i think they've done some small aged releases here and there but they also like they have a white rum that's a blend of their own rum and rum from new guinea and rum from Martinique. So I think I think that's allowed them to kind of like scale things up because, hmm. you know, it's it's tough making cane juice rum. It's expensive. And when you're starting out, like trying to do everything from that can be difficult. So 
I think that's allowed them to kind of like have a bunch of different products. So they're taking kind of an interesting approach. And then right. I think Kaloa is, is a very different approach where I think their rums are geared a little bit more to a mass audience. They're not cane juice rums. They they have a standard unaged rum, but they also do like a lot of flavored rums. Like, yeah, you know, I've they have a lot of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. coconut rum. They have a dark rum that's like very, very, you know, dark, like has added, you know, stuff to it. The coconut rum is actually like pretty good for a flavored rum. Like I'm not a huge flavored rum guy, but like it's it's one of the better coconut rums that, that I've had. And then they also, they do have like a reserve aged rum. I believe it's now aged for a minimum of five years. So I think once you see American Rum Distillery starting to get to those five-year age statements, that's when they've really yeah. like been around for a little while. It's actually pretty uncommon to find rum that old. Most of the stuff you see is going to be less than five years. That actually should have been another characteristic when we were talking about that is just rums tend to be younger because places are young and small right. and you know they can't afford to just sit on huge quantities of rum for for years and years so you yeah. mentioned also that so Kaloa has been around for a while they're back in 2009 that mm-hmm. they started so they they've had some time whereas Kohana and Kuliana are both what 10 years ish yeah about 10 uh, years yeah. And another difference I think is worth mentioning also about Kohana, Kuliana. I'm not sure where Kaloa is located, but Kohana and Kuliana are both on different islands in Hawaii. Is that correct? Yeah. So Kohana is on Oahu, Kuliana is on the big island, and Kaloa mm-hmm. is actually on Kauai. So oh, they are okay. all on yeah. different islands. So basically, and, and there there is at least one distillery, possibly more on Maui. Which, again, we can't get to everything, but yeah, basically, yeah. if you are taking a trip to Hawaii, odds are you are going to be on an island that has a rum distillery. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, look them up in advance. And I know the three that we just mentioned are all places you can you can visit. So definitely look into that. But yeah, so Hawaii is one of those places that I think just has some interesting stuff going on and kind of you could see a style of Hawaiian rum developing, Mm -hmm. you know, over Mm -hmm. the next several decades to where, yeah, they're all different and you can find some different stuff. But like you can kind of like recognize some some characteristics in common, you know, going back to the cane source, I think. So the next place like that, Louisiana, I, I think kind of. Like I was saying earlier, defining characteristics here is you just see a lot of places using local sugarcane products, whether it is juice that they're growing or sourcing, or it's 100% local molasses, which Mm -hmm. one advantage that some distilleries have in Louisiana, they since they're close, you know, to a lot of the mills, it's easier for them to work directly with the mills. And so I know of at least one distillery that is able to get a less refined molasses specifically because they're local and like the mill doesn't mind kind of going to a little extra trouble to to get it to them. So whereas if you're farther away, it could be harder to to get that kind of thing. Well, if they have a steady business deal, then it makes sense for the mill to say, okay, we'll we'll be a little less efficient in our process to give you what you're looking for because Mm -hmm. we know you're going to buy it. Yeah. So then that makes sense just reaching out and having that, you know, cooperative there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll we'll start with a distillery that probably I don't know if they have the most international distribution of any of these younger American rum distilleries, but they're definitely in the running for having the most, both within the United States and outside the United States, and that's Bayou. So I think that's one that people are likely to have encountered just in stores or seen it online or something like that. But they started in 2013. It's all, to my knowledge, pot distilled. They're one of the distilleries that, as I was saying earlier, they use a combination of molasses and what I think is is crystallized sugar. The other thing that can be frustrating about the crystallized sugar thing is that you'll see a ton of websites that just say, like, you know, we use 
local American sugar cane to make our rum. And it's like, okay, well, like, you yeah, know, yeah. what, but you left out a key detail, what, like there. what, what byproduct <laughs> yeah. of sugar, like it makes it sound yeah. like it's a, you know, very agricultural product, which to an extent it is that they're using yeah. stuff, you know, locally made here, but I, a few I, steps between that though. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. A few steps removed from the farm yeah. basically. Yeah. So I, I believe they're using molasses and crystallized sugar and they have a pretty, broad line of always available rums at this point they have an unaged rum they have a reserve rum that's aged two to five years they have kind of a single batch series that i think usually has an age statement they're mm-hmm. the current one that's on their website is five years old it was aged in california wine casks so usually there's some you know cask differentiator there and then they also have one called exo mardi gras that's aged up to five years and then they finish it in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks, and then they have like some spiced and flavored rums. But I wanted to bring them up just because I think they're one of the the few American rum distilleries that really does have wide distribution. Yeah, and yeah, has they're scaled, on almost every shelf. Yeah, yeah, they've scaled pretty quickly. And I, I, I believe they are either majority. I think they're majority owned by Stoli Group now, which is you know mm. part of a big spirits conglomerate. So they've had mm-hmm. some investment. I know they have some international distribution and things like that. My experience with their rum is is limited. Like I bought one of their aged rums several years ago and it was fine. It certainly wasn't bad, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I haven't gone back and bought other bottles, but that can also be the thing with these distilleries is like they started in 2013. So what they're making now may be significantly different from what I had three or four years ago when I tried yeah. the rum for the first time, because a lot of these places, they're refining their processes, they're learning, right. they're doing different things. And so you can and see... And there's that lag, right? With the aged products, there's that lag of it's not going to get to you for a while with the changes they've implemented. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. So that's another thing I would say is like, if you if you tried something several years ago, you know, use your impression of that as a reference point. But I would say, like, don't hold that distillery to that forever. They might, you know, improve yeah. down the line. So, yeah, that that's the first one. The other non-cane juice distillery I'll talk about is Relaison, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. They are a really small distillery in New Orleans, started in 2016, all 100% pot still. They're the rum nerds distillery is how I like <laughs> to describe them because they're doing stuff with dunder and muck. Their rum is is very funky, but it's like it, it's it's not a funk like you've had in other rums. It's I, cool. I guess it's it's like a New Orleans funk basically. But they're they're one of the distilleries that's using 100% local molasses. I believe they get it directly from a mill. They do an interesting thing where they actually do two different fermentations with mm-hmm. two different types of yeasts, and one mm-hmm. of those yeasts is a Britannomyces yeast, which is sometimes referred to as Brett. It's something you see a lot in beer, actually, like kind of sour, funky beers. But so you don't see it very often in in rum at all. So it's a pretty unique thing. So basically they do those fermentations and then they can, you know, blend the results of those in their rum. So they have an unaged rum. They have an overproof unaged rum, which the overproof is not just the unaged rum at higher strength. It's actually, it's it's different. So I, I think it's like a different percentage of the various fermentations that go in there it's kind of like a different mark basically right if you're going to compare right. it to jamaica mm-hmm. for example and then they have a bunch of all their aged releases are just single barrel so again they don't have like that flagship like here's our two-year-old aged rum release that is always available everything is single barrel again it's very very small i visited there for the first time last year and you walk in and like you turn to your left you turn to your right you see the whole distillery but it's it's really cool i'd encourage people if you're going to new orleans to they do tours so schedule a visit 
they're they're really cool and they like they love rum so they're yeah. rum people they also did a one-off cane juice rum a few years ago that i was really impressed with and they just don't do it consistently just because getting access to that fresh juice is difficult when you're not growing yeah. the cane yourself this is the one of, of most of the ones we're going to talk talk about today this is the one that makes me the most jealous of you i just i feel like this i want this product to be nearby and in available in florida and to your point of them being still small and still kind of recent mm -hmm. um it just they're, they're, i guess they're just not there yet with the the wider distribution but i'm so curious and interested to try some of the stuff that they're doing that you just talked about it just seems a fun like you said geek geeky kind of yeah. nerdy kind of project that really speaks to me. So I'm hoping that it, it makes its way down sometime soon or I make my way up to it maybe. And, and again, that's one of the, I want to say like frustrations of the category for consumers. It's just hard to get your hands on it, you know, because it's yeah. so regional production is so small and, and they do have some distribution outside of Louisiana. I like, I think they're in Chicago. I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm not going to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. say, but I mean, the other thing is also just like production capacity limitations. They basically have like five, I think five, four or five tiny pot stills all in a row in a room. So there's only so much rum that they can make, you know, and they're doing slightly longer fermentation. So, you know, it takes mm -hmm. time and everything. So, but it's a frustration of the category, but also what makes it a little bit fun is just like the hunt, it's like trying to, you know, hunt these things down. Um, it may, when you get it, it feels like a special experience sometimes. And then real quickly, you know, I don't want to take forever on all of this, but a, a few more we'll mention. Uh, the last three are places that have are all all doing cane juice rum at various degrees and two of them are doing some molasses rum as well one is oxbow rum which was also formerly called three roll and yeah. before it was three roll it was cane land so like yeah. they've been through yeah. some some iterations rebranding yeah 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 they started in 2016 it's it's pretty unique i don't think there's another distillery like this in the U.S. even at all, but it's owned by the family that owns the Alma Sugar Mill and Farms. So again, they've been in the sugar business for a long time and just recently. So, you know, they have access to sugarcane, they have access to molasses because again, they're milling their own sugar. They sell actual sugar. So they've got access to like every type of, you know, byproduct to come off of the sugarcane plant so everything they do is you know estate grown they do cane juice rums they also do molasses rums they have unaged cane juice and molasses rums and mm -hmm. i think they have a two-year-old aged molasses rum and i actually when i did the acsa judging last year their unaged molasses rum was one of the rums that was in that competition and of course this was all blind so we didn't know but that rum scored the highest of everything oh, wow. we had and i think the reaction was pretty universal among the judges i think there was one who wasn't as high on it as the others were but i was really impressed like really good fruity characteristics and like there was some talk at the table of like maybe this is a jamaican rum because sourced products could be entered into that competition uh. so that was an impressive impressive blind tasting experience there and again that that relationship of just being part of a sugar mill is is unique in in american rum so they have access to a lot of stuff can do a lot of interesting things there um the next yeah. one is one i've discussed on the podcast before which is Sheremy rum part of porch jam distillery they th th that distillery started out making vodka but in 2018 they they realized the error of their ways and <laughs> <Yeah>. well they <laughs> they they hired jason zeno in 2018 he's their distiller ah, okay. now and Good. the first thing he wanted to do was 
we've got to do a cane juice rum. So they make it seasonally with the harvest season. They do not grow the cane themselves. It's a pretty unique sourcing method. They actually, they drive a big tanker truck about an hour and a half or so west, Hmm. I believe, of New Orleans. And they get fresh juice directly from a sugar mill that, you know, agreed to sell it to them. So they just back their truck in. The juice empties out into this big tank on the back of the truck. They drive it back as quickly as possible to the distillery mm-hmm. and start distilling it right away. So it's a it's it's not a mobile distillery, but there's a mobile method like aspect yeah. of it. They do. Is there, is there a temperature control that they would do during that? Is it so cold or the tank is not t- temperature controlled? I. I and they actually like fermentation does start a little bit in the gotcha. tank on the way yeah. back. I think they put a little bit of a yeast starter in there because it's going to start oh. kind of fermenting anyway. So I think that allows them to control it a little bit. But their goal it's is fermented to, on the move. Yeah, nice. yeah. But so like they want to get back as quickly as possible and right. you know get the juice into their fermenters. And I believe they do temperature control at the distillery. Uh, I wrote a whole article about it, I should know. But, you know, they they want a fairly controlled fermentation. They're not trying to do a bunch of, like, you know, wild fermentation, you know, crazy mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. going on. So once it gets back to the distillery, pretty standard. Then they do a, a pot distillation and a column distillation. They've released an unaged rum so far. Then they've also done, like, a standard unaged rum. They also do queen share rum there as well. So they've they've done some unaged releases of that. And they have a bunch of rum aging. It, I like their approach because they're using all 53-gallon barrels. So, you know, okay. they, like, they're, they're built... They're not a massive distillery, but they are much larger and have the capacity for making more rum than the vast majority of the distillers we're talking about. Like they're set up Mm. to produce a lot and they have a lot aging. And actually I think at rum Congress, didn't you taste a little age sample of their stuff? And yeah, I I think so. I think you had a pretty favorable reaction to it. If I'm remembering, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Yes. That was really good. And the other thing I remember about Jeremy was seeing a few recent posts online on social media that people are starting to find it in different states now. So Illinois, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember if it was Minnesota or something. I, I don't want to say it wrong either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did notice that there were people saying, hey, look what I found on the shelf. And it was mm-hmm. that bottle of, I believe it was an unaged Cherami rum. Yeah, it's yeah. got like a green label on yes. it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's their standard. And the, the rum that they make for aging is actually different from that. So they make a rum that is for bottling unaged, and then they configure the still slightly differently for the rum that they're going to age. And if you taste that rum unaged next to the stuff that they bottle unaged, the mm-hmm. other stuff that is made for aging, it's it's uh, it's a little bit more robust. It's got a little bit more funk to it, mm-hmm. I think, to kind of stand up to the the barrel. Right. So it's just kind of cool. Like they're doing a lot of different stuff. And yeah, I, I, I like what they're doing a lot. And then the last one I'll mention, uh, Sugarfield Spirits. So they started in 2019. They, they do like a combination of molasses slash raw cane sugar based rum it's all sourced in louisiana but they've also done some small cane juice batches as well and they kind of started out milling it themselves but it was just i think kind of too much work i think like economically it wasn't really feasible to continue doing that so they are able to still they're they're sourcing juice from a mill i can't remember which one and they're still doing some juice products and i actually just got to try this for the first time. I connected with their owner and distiller and he sent me some stuff. They're, they're doing a lot of aging in different cask types. Like he sent me some okay. cane juice rum that was aged in a white port barrel, some aged in a red port barrel. 
and it's solid stuff. I yeah. like I'm really intrigued to you know to to see what they do, but yeah, very very enthusiastic and experimenting with a lot of different stuff, which is kind of like the the fun stuff that you can run into in this category. Yeah, I was going to say that I don't think I see, I mean it does exist, but I don't think I see as much of the finished in a cask type of things from American rum producers. At least maybe this is the only one like you said in Louisiana maybe. Well, no. Yeah, I guess as I'm kind of talking it out with you, I'm like, well, that one, well, that one. So there, there are, <laughs> there are, they are out there. But at the same time, I also don't feel like it's taken over as part of their line, probably because they're still young and, and uh, getting their own identity. They don't want to start pushing stuff out that is influencing them in different ways just yet. Whereas if you look at something from Jamaica or Barbados, say, they're, they've got such a standard profile that now they're starting to just see how other casks affect that, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do think you see it a fair amount. I think a lot of these rum producers, like kind of what you're saying, knowing what your style is can lead mm-hmm. you to experiment with it. But also not knowing what your style is can lead you to experiment a lot in some cases because, you know, you may want to try it at ex-bourbon casks or you may want to try it in New American Oak. Or you may want to try it in, you know, an ex-wine barrel. Okay. So I think you do see a fair amount of it. But yeah, it's, it's it's I think as as rum fans, we always like seeing, yeah. you know, stuff done in in, in different different cast types and you know experimentation and things like that so for um, me before we move on louisiana is kind of the 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 one the up and coming or or i don't want to even say up and coming but the most interesting things i think right now in american rum are kind of happening in louisiana that's not to discount all of what hawaii is doing which i think mm -hmm. is really good things there and some of the others we're going to talk about as well coming up but there's just something about that area right now that it almost feels like an organic renaissance something happening which is kind of cool well, and I think that's a byproduct of sugarcane being there again. You know, mm. it's there, you have access to different stuff, and it's just on your mind. You know, we're in mm. Louisiana, what should we make? Well, we have sugarcane. And like Roulezon, for example, their founders, one of their founders, I think, is from or went to school. I think he's from Louisiana originally, but the their distiller is not from Louisiana. But when they decided to start a distillery, a rum distillery, they were like, we got to move to Louisiana, you know, because like, why would we do it anywhere else? Let's do it mm. somewhere where we can be near sugarcane near the mills and everything so yeah i think it, it definitely attracts a lot of interesting mm-hmm. stuff um cool so the last few we'll talk about as i said there's there's other places where sugarcane grows um we want to talk about a couple in in georgia and florida so georgia this is another distillery that i think is probably like high on the list of just american rum distilleries that people are likely to have heard of they've been around for a while i think they've gotten a lot of you know, positive reception and stuff like that. But Richland Rum in Georgia, they started in 2011. They grow their own cane. I think it's just about as far north as you can go in the U.S. and still reasonably grow sugar cane. Mm. But it's it's kind of a unique setup because I was talking about, you know, Cherami in Louisiana. They only distill during the harvest season, or at least they only get juice during the harvest season. The harvest right. season in Louisiana is about, I want to say, October or November until early to mid-January, so it's pretty small. It's not like the Caribbean, you know, where sugarcane can be harvested a much greater percentage of the year than just that. At Richland in Georgia, it's an even smaller window, and so instead of working with just fresh juice, they heat the juice and condense it into cane syrup, which is shelf-stable. So unlike juice, which you have to distill pretty quickly or it's going to spoil if you condense it into cane syrup you can store it and still you know once harvest season is over you still have stuff to to distill so it's basically like it wouldn't be feasible for them to only distill like one or two months out of the year basically Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. 
they do a cane syrup rum. All their aging is in new American oak. They've, they've also done a few special cask releases. Like they've done a port cask. They, they've actually done some beer casks as well. Yeah, which that's is, the ones I was thinking of earlier too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Those, yep. Uh-huh. Um, everything is single cask. You can actually look up your cask online to get the details. Like they put the cask number on the bottle and you can find the specific cask on their website. And uh, But generally they're all, what they bottle now is all about four to five years old. And I know, I know, I, we we've had some disagreements between ourselves about. <laughs> I was about wondering Richland. if you're going to bring this. Yeah, up. <laughs> of course, we got to got to bring it up. Um, I, I'm a fan of what they do. I've I've had several of their rums. I've had their standard aged rum. I've had a cask strength one. I've had their port rum, and I enjoyed all of them to varying degrees. I thought it was. Mm. I I really like their approach first of all, and it's it's all um it's pot still rum. I believe they use kind of the the kind of Charente style, you know, swan neck mm-hmm. stills. Mm-hmm. But so I really like their approach. And to me, the the rum lives up to it. It's quality. And it's it's one of the, like, if I'm going to introduce a rum enthusiast to American rum, like, I think Richland for me would be in the lineup. Yeah, I just, I'm probably in the minority here. And I, it, you've, if anybody listening has listened to this podcast for a long time, you know I don't like talking negatively about almost any rum in general because I'm such a fan of just the category and I want everybody to succeed. And to your point, I do know a lot of people, Will, that like Richland rum. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm not sure if it's one of two things, and this is just going by memory, I haven't tried it recently, but it's either the cane syrup rums that I'm just not a fan of because mm-hmm. I've had others that there's something in the cane syrup approach that gives it a quality that I don't seem to enjoy. Mm. So it, it just could be my own subjective thing about cane syrup rums, and I need to try to expand that to see if that's what it is. Or the other thing that may come to mind is the, the casks. Sometimes you get this kind of mustiness from a cask, and mm-hmm. it feels like every time I've had a Richland rum, I get that mustiness from it that it, I'm not as much of a fan of. Well, and it is all single cask. So it's like if you've tried it, you know, two or three times, you're still only getting single casks and Mm. the casks differ. So it it could be that or it could just be that it's not for you, which is is fine, you know. But yeah, it's it's one that that I recommend people trying and and seeking out. What I do like from them is they they do higher ABVs also, right? Mm, Yeah, they do some cast strength stuff and like their standard standard aged bottling, I believe, is bottled at 43% ABV. So it's it's not just you know the standard 80 proof yeah i do like that and i think they, that they have a good singular approach and i have to agree with you that when you're talking to somebody who knows nothing about american rum mm-hmm. that kind of richland does need to be in the conversation yeah we agree there um yeah. so moving on florida this is kind of to round out our places growing sugarcane florida has one place that i know of that is growing sugarcane i have not had the chance to try their rum yet um maybe you could be our you're our Florida correspondent yeah. down there, John. Um, actually, so this is Sugar Sand Distillery. They started in 2017. They are located in Lake Placid, Florida, which I don't know where that is. When I hear Lake Placid, I just think of the movie from the late 90s. Um, with the alligator? Yeah, with the alligator, which took place in New York. I think New that was York, like upstate Lake, New York. Lake yeah. Placid, New York, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just more of the you know, New York to Florida yeah. connection. but It's central Florida, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So they've got about 10 acres of sugar cane. They do a fresh cane juice rum unaged and aged bottling and again I, I wish i had more to say about it but I, I bring it up just because i think anytime someone in the u.s is growing their own sugar cane and making rum like it's notable it's it's worth you know being like hey yeah this this place exists too so 
wanted to bring that up. Oh, but what okay. I mean, John, you're you know you're you're bouncing around all over there down in Florida. You know, you're part of the Florida Rum Society. You're Mr. Miami. So what else? What else is going like Florida? As we learned at Miami Rum Congress, I, one of the presentations was talking about how Florida is maybe like the number one selling rum state in right. in the U.S. Not just of American rum, but like all rum. A lot and, of rum is sold in Florida. So like exactly. What's what's going on from a production standpoint down there? Well, what, and, like, and I was going to say, number two is that it's also the number two state for cane production behind Louisiana. Right, right, so, right, right. And, and if I recall correctly, it, it's not super far off in terms of volume. So it's not like Louisiana's 80 and Florida's 20 and everybody else. It's closer mm. to like 60, 40 in that region, somewhere around there. Oh, interesting. So, so Florida does produce a lot of cane and sugar itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there's also a lot quite a few rum distilleries that are small in Florida as well. And I, I would I would not be able to speak very knowingly about most of them. There's a couple that I know. First of all, I was going to say with Sugar Sand, I'm not really familiar with them and I'm really interested in them. So mm-hmm. like you said, hopefully I can find that nearby somewhere and, and try some of them. I just looked up Lake Placid, by the way. It is a little more south of where I thought it would be. So it's south right. of Orlando, right in the middle of the state, but above Lake Okeechobee. So okay. it's it's in that range of like central to south the the two that came to mind that i wanted to kind of mention number one is wicked dolphin Mm -hmm. which is pretty ubiquitous down here and i think they've got fairly wide distribution amongst other states they're cape coral florida they've been in since 2012 so like you said you know about 10 or 11 years now for Mm -hmm. for most of these that are the older ones but they do quite a bit they are a copper pot still and all florida sugar so Mm -hmm. they say they're using they they bill themselves as a true florida rum in the sense that they're using florida sugar florida i believe it's florida brown sugar and molasses that they're Mm -hmm. using together they make a, a silver rum, which is fairly unique in terms of it being an aged and filtered white rum in that right. way. And then they also have a bunch of flavored rums, which are, are fairly standard for down here. But the, the ones that are interesting are, and I think we mentioned this recently, they have a bottled in bond. Mm, uh, yeah. Rum. Uh-huh. So that's I remember uh, seeing aged, that. Yeah, yeah, age 6 years, a uh, 50% ABV and they age all their stuff on site. Well, and seeing, uh, you know, bottled and bond, I believe what has to be aged a minimum of 4 years, right? If I'm yes. remembering correctly. Yep. So yep. seeing a 6-year age statement rum again pretty uncommon so that's notable in and of itself and then you also mentioned the white rum which is aged and then filtered which although that is very common across the broader rum world pretty uncommon Mm -hmm. there's one other distillery we're going to talk about that does that but almost nobody in the u.s does that where they put their rum in a barrel and then take it out filter it filter the color out and bottle it and you know as like a white or a silver or what what have you rum usually those you know, white or silver rums are going to be unate. Like maybe they rest briefly in a tank or something like that, but they're they they don't touch barrels. They're they're just unaged rums basically. So mm-hmm. even though that's super common in other countries, like part of the reason it's uncommon here is again what we've talked about. Like these places need to sell their rum quickly. So you know, putting it in a cask for a year or two and then filtering out the color is just such like a financial commitment that yeah. it's it's not worth it for a lot of places. So it's always interesting to me when I see distilleries that do go to the trouble to to make that investment. Yeah, agreed. 
Um, and there's one more I wanted to mention for Florida, which mm-hmm. is Lugo's Distillery. Okay. And uh, with Florida Rum Society, we had the chance to talk with them and, and try a few of their rums. So that's why I know a little bit more about mm-hmm. them. They're a family owned in fairly recent, I think only a few years that they've been doing this now in Lakeland, Florida. But the family comes from the Puerto Rican tradition. So they actually make a pitoro. Uh, yeah. So the pitoro is a, a high ABV unaged rum that they have. They also have an aged rum they've aged for a year. It's it's. It's fairly dark for an aged rum one year, so I'm not sure how that's being produced all the way through there, but they do have it. And then they have a spiced rum that for... A person like myself who doesn't really care for spice <laughs> uh-huh, rums very uh-huh. much, I have to say I, I enjoyed this it's one. pretty good. They're, yeah. they're trying to do it right. Uh-huh. So that's that's nice. I like that they also have a higher than the standard 40% ABV on a lot of their releases. And I, I'm excited to see what else they're continuing to work on. Why I wanted to point them out also was just to talk about, we're talking about these regional kind of things. Florida's a weird state, Will. Mm-hmm. Florida has like South Florida and then it's got Central Florida, and then it's got like North Florida. And those three things are not quite alike exactly. Even though we're all that one state of Florida, right? man, it really feels like you're in a different place once you pass, you know, I want to say like Palm Beach County down here. It uh-huh. starts to really shift in culture. And then if you go north of Tampa or there, it starts to shift again into that more southern kind of Georgia, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. Alabama type of area. So the point there is I don't think there's really anything coalescing around a Florida rum style at all because of these things like Lugos who has this tradition and they're kind of doing the more Puerto Rican thing and then Wicked Dolphin doing their own thing and then these others that are doing their own thing. So there's there's not really anything quite yet that I would point to saying Florida is starting to identify yet. Yeah. But they do have a lot going on. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up uh, for a large part of my childhood in Alabama, taking vacations down to the Gulf Coast down there. Sometimes beaches mm-hmm. in Alabama, sometimes beaches in Florida, and I'd always tell people, North Florida is just South Alabama, pretty much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like culturally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been everywhere in North Florida, but certainly parts that are basically mm-hmm. a lot like Alabama to me. So yeah, good point. And you brought up the spice rum. I will say, like, you know. People know neither of us are, you know, huge spiced rum people, but a lot of times you see these smaller distilleries that are using local ingredients and stuff like that. You see some pretty decent spiced rum products out there from a lot of these distilleries. Um, I meant to mention when we were talking about Cherami, you know, Porch Jam, they don't make a spiced rum, but a, a distiller I know who has a company called Liba Spirits, a guy named Colton Weinstein and his partner, Devin. They basically travel around doing products at different distilleries and then releasing it under their own brand. They did a spiced slash botanical rum at Porch Jam with molasses, not with the cane juice. And yeah. uh, it's it's called Lafcadio. Uh, and it's another example of like, it's a really interesting, it's, you know, it's 80 proof. It's not sweetened. They use like bay leaf and a lot of kind of like unconventional stuff in oh. it. So you do see some really interesting infused spiced botanical, like whatever you want to call them. You do see some interesting stuff like that coming out here. So yeah, just something to to note. But with all that said, I think we're ready to move on to our second region. And these next few, I think will be quicker. I think those, we had a lot to say about the, the, the places with the cane, but um, New England. So actually, as I was sort of preparing our outline for this episode, I was like, I actually don't know what 
New England technically, like what states comprise New England? Do you know what states comprise New England, John? Um, yes, just the ones that comprise New England. I'm, I'm buying myself time to think about this. <laughs> no, I honestly don't. I, I know it's going to be Massachusetts. Yeah. I know what, what I feel like it is. Yes, it's what it is and what you feel like it is, right? And they're different things. Right. Vermont, New Hampshire, Uh Delaware, uh, and uh, Delaware's not in there. Delaware's not in there. So it's... Rhode Island? Yes. It's six states, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Vermont. In my mind, though, I always lumped like pretty much the entire Northeast (laughs) as like New England. Because like, that's the one part of the country I haven't spent that much time in. Like I've been to New York, I've been to Boston, but I haven't really been to that many places outside of there. So in my Mm -hmm. mind, I was like... New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, like it's all Maine. New England. It's just, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's up there in the in the corner, but yeah, it's just those six <laughs> states that are really up there in the the, mm-hmm. the northeast corner. So, anyway, I think the, the 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 main one to talk about here and and this is probably the American rum distillery that is most known to rum enthusiasts is yeah. Privateer, which is located in Ipswich, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Started in 2011. We went into pretty deep detail into Privateer in one of our first episodes, which was with Maggie Campbell, who was formerly the the head distiller there. She's no longer there anymore. She has now taken her talents to Mount Gay, which we've had her back on the show since then as well. But I, you know, I think tons of people know Privateer through you know her. She was very visible in the rum world and everything. But they actually this gets back to our whole molasses and crystallized sugar thing because mm-hmm. in the past, you know the for the majority of their history to date, they used to use a combination of molasses and crystallized, like a kind of a raw, you know, less refined crystallized sugar for their rums. They also did have some that were 100% molasses. I believe their Navy Yard rum was always 100% molasses. But Mm -hmm. anyway, since around 2019, they shifted to all molasses. And I remember, I think in our episode with Maggie, we talk, because that was shortly after, or yeah, like right around when they made that shift. And so, you know, go back and listen to that if you want more insight into like why they did that and sort of what can be the pitfalls of crystallized sugar and things like that. But now if you buy some of their rums, they're everything is made with 100% molasses. But as you were referring earlier, you know, what you get from a distillery now isn't what they're making right now, unless you're Mm -hmm. buying unaged stuff. So they still have some aged products that are coming out, you know, that will have been made with the molasses and crystallized sugar in some of them. So, you know, probably 10 years from now or whatever, it'll all be 100% molasses. But in the meantime, there's sort of a a mishmash. But um, hybrid batch distillation, you know, feature pot and column. They do a lot of different, you know, still configurations. They do a lot of blending at Privateer, which is, I think, one of the things that really makes them stand out. A lot of blending of, of casks of various ages, various cask types, things like that. They have a standard unaged white rum. Now they have a standard reserve rum, which again, yep. this is something that's uncommon to see in American rum is when someone has a standard aged product that is like, you know, not just a one-off two-year rum or one-off three-year right. rum that's or whatever. True. Yeah. They have a New England Reserve rum. It's a blend of rums aged two to six years. So again, showcasing that blending. But I think their goal with that rum is to get to a consistent profile. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, here's whatever we had. It's it's always going to be this aged range, but we're like specifically making rums for this blend to keep it consistent. Um, they also have their Navy Yard rums, which they have a, a, a two-year Navy Yard and a four-year na- Navy Yard. I believe all of those are aged in 
100% new American oak, whereas the other one, you know, they use a lot of different cast types. They use, use rum casts. They use, you know, a, a bunch of different things. They've also done a queen share rum for a long time. They were maybe really them and Maggie's Farm in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. were the first mm-hmm. two American rum distilleries that I really saw putting the queen share style out there. And they've released those at a variety of ages and cooperages. They also do their distiller's drawer series. Actually, I think they've renamed that now. I think it's Letter of Mark now. Um, but yes, those are like one off single mm-hmm. cask releases that they do every year. And, you know, you'll see everything from apple brandy casks to cognac casks to new american oak casks like it's it's a lot of different stuff so i think they're the one obviously they had the big collaboration with velier a few years back habitation velier did mm-hmm. a release mm-hmm. of theirs velier did some standard releases mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. th- that's why i kind of describe them as like they're the ones that i think are on most people's radar and maybe you're most likely to have experience but i think if you're introducing someone to american rum they're kind of like in that lineup as well yeah, I think, and it, this therein lies part of the problem, and let me explain what I mean by that, which is when I think American rum, well, less now than when I, kind of a few years ago, but when I think American rum, I always tend to think privateer. Mm, and like that, that, but, new, that new American oak kind of taste? Exactly, yeah. yes. The new American oak, the mm-hmm. profile that they bring, which mm-hmm. I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoy their product. And when I found this, this is what the first time I kind of discovered them, I was like, this is American rum. But as we're kind of talking through all of this, the point here is, well, that's problematic because there are so much to American rum right. that in my head, the way this was as American rum is is not indicative of every American rum. Mm-hmm. It's to, I guess to our point of what we're trying to do, it's it's kind of a New England rum style. That's yeah. that's a really like I'm really glad you brought that up, and I think there's a few reasons for why I think they're so synonymous with American rum style for a lot of people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's one. I mean, they're they've been just the most visible brand among right. rum geeks. First of all, right. Second of right. all, I think their branding has always leaned into yes. like the yeah. their logo has kind of like uh, it's kind of suggestive of the stripes on the American flag, yes. you know, kind of yeah. wavy. And then also their rum style just has always tasted distinct from rum styles across the world. Like it's not trying to taste like a Caribbean rum at all. You, right. you They use a lot of new oak. They don't use exclusively new oak. But so it just it. I mean, a lot of people compare their rums to whiskey, you know, and I think the new oak is one of the big reasons for that, just because most American whiskey is aged, you know, bourbon is aged in new oak. So you get some of those characteristics. But so, yeah, I think all that combined, that's what a lot of people think of when they think of American rum. And I think they're kind of I I mean, they've always leaned into being an American rum, but I think being a New England rum has become like a bigger part of their brand in recent years as well. Like the white rum now is called New England white. It didn't used to be Mm -hmm. called that. The reserve, Mm -hmm. I think, is New England reserve. So, you know, and I I think it's smart to do that because, you know, the New England that that's like a I think New England rum doesn't take up as much brain space for people now as it did, you know, (laughs) a few hundred (laughs) years ago. But it does have that historical connection. Yeah, um, and they've had some bottled and bond releases also. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. so. There's there's a little bit of a tie in there to the, that kind of thing as well. I, I agree with you for sure that they do harken back to a little bit of the whiskey culture as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, uh, and then just a, a couple more to hit up here. These distilleries, a couple I'm going to mention here, are ones that I have not tried personally, but that I've heard a lot about, and one that is doing something that I think is just pretty notable. One of those is Newport Distilling Company in Newport, Rhode Island. They've been around since 2006, so. 
long time for an American rum distillery. They make a rum that's called Thomas Two Rum, which you may have seen before. Pot distilled molasses. And to me, what's notable about it is how old their rums are that they put out. I think their like entry level aged rum is it's a five-year age statement rum. They also have one that's a blend of seven to nine-year-old rum. And I think I just saw label approval for a 10-year rum from them, which again, is just mm. very rare to see that with American rum. But this is one for me that's like, you you were talking about being frustrated about not being able to try Relays on. This Thomas Two is one for me. I, I still haven't had it. And so mm-hmm. I'm just curious because, you know, it's it's been around for so long. I just, I want to try it. Uh, two more real quick for New England. One of them is Bartlett Spirits of Maine Distillery, located in Goldsboro, Maine. They make a rum called Rusticator Rum, which the first person to really tell me about this rum was Maggie Campbell, actually. So <laughs> this isn't one that I've had, but I know she has had this one. It's pot still rum, molasses base. I believe it's aged in French oak for two years. And I think it's like extremely small batch. Like I think what she was telling us about it, it's like you have to physically go there if you want it, basically. But but she and others you know, who have lived in New England have, have raved about that rum. So uh, that's definitely one to put on your radar. If you're in Maine anytime soon, look for Rusticator Rum. Heard good things about it. And then the last one, one more in Maine called Three of Strong Spirits. They started, I want to say, around 2019, 2020. I've, you know, talked with their distiller and their two co-founders. I tried some of their rums. Again, they started as a rum distillery. They've done some gin as well, I believe, but rum is still their primary thing. They also took that approach that we were talking about earlier. They sourced a 12-year Colombian rum to sell alongside mm. their products but yeah they, they have an unaged rum they have released like done some small batch aged stuff they actually they had a spice rum they sent me a sample of that was a really tasty spice rum for you know again like we were saying earlier it had like a lot of un- there was some kind of like tea used in it and i don't remember but it was very like it reminded me of the holidays and i enjoyed that but so they're another one like just all spiced rums remind me of the holidays <laughs> well yeah I, but I this know. is like this wasn't like it wasn't the same as you know a lot of the like it wasn't just cinnamon and clove and stuff like that like there was, was some a different interesting holiday <laughs> yeah yeah there's some interesting stuff going on there but anyway they're another one like they're just they're rum focused they're serious about rum so just another one to kind of you know keep your eye on especially if, if you're in maine um to close thing out though close things out though we want to run through several of the exceptions so again these are like what we've talked about are places that we could see emerging as distinctive regions where it's like a whole state or a whole part mm-hmm. of a state or a mm-hmm. whole region of the United States, like New England, the rest are just kind of like the exceptions to that. So there's plenty of places outside those regions that are doing interesting things that I think are, you know, worth looking into. One of them, it we feels already... like it would be unfair to not oh, for call sure. these out just because they're, you know, a little more isolated or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and the point mm-hmm. of pointing out those other regions isn't to like exclude the rest of the United States. It's more right. just like there's a concentration of distilleries in these other regions that I could see developing a right consistent style of some type like right yeah so it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the near future there's some sort of like louisiana rum Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. standard or a a new england rum standard maybe something like that so again these are just the exceptions to to those places so one we already mentioned was montagna i think that'll be another one that is not unfamiliar to many listeners um they've been at it since 2008 
located in Crested Butte, Colorado. They're another distillery. They use a combination of raw unrefined cane sugar and molasses to make their rum. And I do know they actually get that like directly from Louisiana. And Karen Hoskin has, you know, given seminars and talked at great detail about their sugarcane sourcing and everything. They have a lot of material on their website about it. So you can go read all about it there. But that's an example of like crystallized sugar that I think can actually make a good rum it's because it's 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 very raw it's it's unrefined it still has character to it um all pot still they're another one doing something rare which is their white rum is aged for a year and then filtered yep and you just don't see that very much they have a one-year aged rum they call oro and exclusiva is their three-year-old rum it's aged in ex whiskey barrels and then and in french oak wine barrels and port barrels and then they have a four-year-old rum now called valentia aged in ex-whiskey and then finished in ex-rye. And one thing I'll point out about them is this used to be something that I think kind of rankled rum nerds was that Montagna used to, I think at bottling, they would add like a really small amount of local Colorado honey to their bottle. Um, Oh, interesting. And like Karen has been a rum fan. Like she was a rum geek before she started doing this. And she would always say like it wasn't, to sweeten the rum it was more like Mm -hmm. they wanted to add some touch of colorado to -hmm. the rum and she felt that like the honey brought out some things in the rum but i think it just created so many questions about like additives and sweetening from people they just stopped doing that so i think it was Mm -hmm. in 2021 that they like when they released valentia i remember it being a big deal part of the release that like this is a you know their first thing they're doing that they're not adding any of the honey to but um, their website says as of 2021, they're not adding that to any of their rums anymore. So, and that that's another like pretty common thing. I, I, I don't think, I won't say none of the distillers we've talked about sweeten or use additives, but the vast majority, I think, of the the places we've talked about you know that are taking a quality approach to rum, like they're not sweetening, they're not doing additives and they're pretty transparent about that even right. when they do add so like like montagna was always transparent about the honey i just think it became like you know i don't know if it was too much of a hassle or it could have been like a supply chain thing i mean i know like honey production and, and bees and everything is supposed to be a huge problem so maybe it just wasn't feasible economically but anyway not doing that anymore that's another one i would just put in the lineup of if you want to know what american rum's about this should be in it because just their their reach is so big they've been around for so long i think they're going to continue to be around for a really long time and just you know distribution wise they're they're available in in europe now in some places so you can actually like get your hands on it and a cool label i think their label is cool yeah their label their labels it's are just me. yeah i think everything it's it's they, they do a good job on like everything mm-hmm. they're they're putting together over there real quick man i know we're we're really see we we talked about you know we could go on forever if we were going to name and all these have. places <laughs> and we're <laughs> we're already pushing two hours so i'll just i'll run through a few more that i wanted to talk about maggie's farm as i mentioned earlier in pittsburgh they've been around since 2013 going through a lot of expansion right now so they've been very successful they they're another one that uses crystallized sugar for their rum they have an unaged rum they do a queen share rum actually i was able to try their unaged queen share for the first time recently i was really impressed with it i hadn't had it before and just a really quality like unaged you know white rum i did too actually at a a recent rum festival yeah rum renaissance i think they were at and they had a couple of products and i like you was impressed by it i Uh thought it was very good yeah, yeah. I, I know. Like, I'd had a lot of their. They do a lot of single barrel releases. I'd have. I'd had some of those, but mm-hmm. I hadn't had that mm-hmm. unaged queen share, and I was like, "Damn, this is good." Um, yeah. 
They've also they've done a lot of blending. Uh, one mm-hmm. rum you may be familiar with if you're listening. If you've ever seen Hidden Harbor White Rum, it's basically a daiquiri rum that's actually made by Maggie's Farm, but it's a blend of their own rum with rums sourced from Jamaica, Guyana, Martinique, Barbados, Trinidad. And yeah, it was built to be a daiquiri rum, and it is like a really damn good daiquiri rum too. Um, yeah. The last thing with them that you may, if, if you're a cocktail enthusiast, if you're a tiki enthusiast, you've definitely seen Maggie's Farm Falernum before which is really good falernum it's it's i don't know how traditional it is in terms of you know comparing it to like the stuff you get in barbados but yeah um people really love that falernum and i think that's like it's weirdly maybe the only maggie's farm product that is consistently distributed in nashville so like i always see their falernum but their rums uh, i don't see as much so anyway yeah i would say have yeah go ahead yeah I was going to say, I have one comment on Maggie's Farm. This was one of the first American rums I had as well, uh-huh. like we talked about with Privateer. And I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. I think they do a very good job with yeah. what they produce. Um, this might be a hot take. I don't know. But <laughs> I just think they have a branding problem a little really? bit. Really? Why? I do. I feel like the bottle design and the name Maggie's Farm is... It's not out there enough in a way that I think it, it is very crafty. So I get that. And maybe that's their approach. They're going uh-huh. crafty. And I can tell by the look on your face, you disagree with me, which is fine. <laughs> but because I think the quality of the product is really good. But the the bottle and the name and all of that is not pulling people to buy it. Interesting. It's I've just Maybe had, it's just my take. I've never yeah. had. I actually think one thing that they've managed to pull off really well is on a lot of their labels, they have kind of like a skeleton on it and it's yeah. or like a skull, but I've never yeah. thought of like pirates when I see it. So like, ah, they, see, maybe you have, but I never have. I, and I, I've always thought their labels are kind of cool. Um, Maggie, I think maybe, it's tough because they're in Pittsburgh. So how do you, yeah. you know, like, I, I don't know how that works, but you know, I just feel like there's well the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, <laughs> the baseball team, right? Um, <laughs> I thought about right. that, um, but again, it doesn't yeah. make me think of pirates. I think if it did make me think of pirates, I would be like not as into it. But yeah. maybe I'm it's predisposed just... to like the name okay. Maggie's Farm as well because we've talked about him, a big Bob Dylan fan. There's a Bob Dylan song, Maggie's Farm. I ain't gonna work uh, on Maggie's Farm no more. Um, okay. So it might come from that. But well, also, have like... you ever seen their Falernum? I have. I've tasted it and it is very good. Yeah. Well, but uh, like the bottle design, because it's very different from what their other, like it's a, it's a dark, it's almost like a charcoal colored bottle and the label, I've always thought it was really cool and put together. Like it really stands out when you see it in stores and it's completely different from the rest of their stuff. So I'm just curious I, how that I'm strikes okay you. I'm okay with that one. I'm looking it up now <laughs> and I see it and I, I it's, it's, it's fine. It's okay. fine for me, but uh, I guess in stark contrast to Montana, which I think does a fantastic job uh-huh. of their whole brand kind of production from the bottle to the, the label to the name to, you know, their different rums, Valentia and all uh-huh. these other ones. They're, they're really doing that well, I think. And some of the other ones in the U.S., I think, are also doing that Virago and some of the other ones. But I, I don't know why. Again, it could just be me, Will. I'm willing to admit that I might be in the super minority here, but... Maggie's Farm and the way that their bottle looks on the shelf does not make me think it stands out. Okay. So. Well, our area of, of biggest disagreement is usually yeah. uh, bottle and label design. But their design. product should. And their I, product should. I disagree with you there. Yeah. I don't think they have a branding problem. But um, <sighs> if anyone wants to call the John Gullah Branding Consultancy, <laughs> we will uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put the phone number for that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> uh, you just mentioned Virago Spirits. They were one that I wanted to mention as well. Started 2019 in Richmond, Virginia. They began with a series of sourced rums. It was a blend called Four Port Rum. So 
four ports, four countries. Mm. They did a variety of finished versions of that blend. Uh, but the whole time they've been distilling their own rum as well. They do like direct fire, Charente style pot still distillation, um, all molasses based. And I don't know, a couple years ago, they sent me a bottle. The first thing they bottled, and I think it was for like local bartenders. It was so funny to me that this was the first thing they bottled. It was a unaged 151 proof rum. Yeah. They sent me a bottle of that. And I was really impressed with it. Like I thought, you know, if you proofed it down a little bit, I thought it would make, you know, a fabulous just, you know, standard white rum to use. But I know they've also they have a bunch of stuff aging. I think they may have done some very small local releases of aged stuff. I haven't I haven't had any of it, but they're just like that. The unaged rum impressed me so much. And just like, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they're focused on rum, you know, they've got the big pot still and everything. They're just on my list of like something I'm keeping an eye on. So I wanted to share that with everyone else. I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think they're they're getting there and they're they're doing good things there. I, I believe they're kind of in their process. They're on their journey in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming from them soon. By the, by the way, Virago, do you know what a Virago is by any chance, Will? I don't know what a Virago is. I feel like they uh, have, they have they, they, there's like a woman on their label, right? Yeah, it, that's what it is. It's a female warrior in ancient okay. times, a Virago. But the word Vir, V-I-R, is actually masculine. It means oh. like a, a, a masculine thing in Latin. So Virago is kind of a, a male-like woman in okay. a way. And, and then it comes into the language later to mean like an ill-tempered mannered woman in a way, weird way as well. But I think that's also got forgotten now. And they're going back to the original meaning of a, what a virago, a female warrior would be. And that, that, like you said, it's echoed on their label. I just found that interesting. I thought it's kind of cool. You know, I'm a classics nerd. So. Yeah. Nice little language lesson there for, for all the <laughs> Latin heads in the audience. Um, close it out. I'll mention two more. One is a newer up and coming distillery and one is maybe the oldest still operating rum distillery in this new wave of of American rum distilleries. But the newer one is Striped Lion. They're in New Jersey, started in 2020, started by Kevin and Aaron Wright. And I mentioned them by name just because if you've been to any rum festivals in the US, like you've probably run into them. Great, great people. They're they're rum enthusiasts. Like they're basically rum enthusiasts who went to all the festivals and eventually decided to start their own rum distillery, which anytime that happens, anytime I know the person who started the distillery loves rum and like recognizes what good rum is i'm like mm-hmm. okay they have a chance you know because yeah, you know they know what's up them. Yes. exactly yeah. pulling for them but yeah all pot still all molasses um i've been able to try some of their stuff everything i've had from them has been unaged another unaged overproof that i've been really impressed with kind of like the virago um and they've also sourced some blends yes. that they've released on their own and done their own cask finishes on so they're aging some of their own stuff as well so i know that's coming at some point and uh just another one kind of like virago that's that's on my list of ones to check out. And last but not least, what I think is the oldest rum distillery. I know there was old New Orleans rum in New Orleans that had been around for forever, but I think they recently closed Pritchard's Distillery right here in my home state of Tennessee. <laughs> Started 1997. Wow. 97. I was nine Your years grandfather old. Grandfather out there. Yeah. I was nine years old when they started making rum. Um, all pot still, all molasses. And again, I, I think they're probably the longest tenured American rum distillery. Um, do their aging all in new American oak. They have a standard aged bottling that I think is like an age range of maybe like three to five or three to six, three, you know, three to seven years, somewhere in there. And they've done some older, smaller releases here and there. But they're just one that's been around for so long that you know, you can't really mention the category without mentioning them. And I I think the, the one thing 
like they've been around for so long, but I feel like they've just consistently put out the same things over and over. So you don't see a lot of like the limited releases and stuff from them like we, we see from a lot of the other places. And I wish I mm-hmm. saw that more, especially because they're local to me. So I'd actually have access to, to those releases. So mm-hmm. I do wish I saw a little bit more of that from them. But one I wanted to mention here at the end. But yeah. I don't know, John, any any final thoughts? Yeah, actually. So, well, before we get into full final thoughts, I don't know why all of this is coming out at the end, but Pritchard's is another one that needs an upgrade for their their image, mm. I think. I feel like it's stuck in the 90s a little. Okay. Um, I, 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 God, I feel like I'm being so negative with some of these now. I don't mean to be, but it's just one, when we're talking about these places where we want to see them succeed, uh-huh. these are things that, that come up in my head. I'm like, that one looks like the bottles from the 90s or the 80s still. Mm. So I really want to see them do something a little bit to update their, their product line. All right, so putting all of this together, the thought, the first thought I had was, number one, wow, there's just so much here. We could do a full another podcast, I think, yeah. and talk about different ones. And, and number two is, how do you bring this across in a meaningful way if you've got somebody in front of you? So Will, what's your flight look like if you've got you know a four or maybe a five oh, max rum flight uh, of you're introducing somebody to American rum? Okay, well, I feel like I've got to do like one from each of these... Yeah, you know, quote unquote regions that I just so I think, you know, for Hawaii, if it's well, I I think I do this for anyone. I think I would do Kohana from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I think from Louisiana, honestly, I might do two just because like you were saying, Mm -hmm. there's so much interesting Mm -hmm. stuff going on and like there's different stuff. So I think I personally, if it's a a rum enthusiast, I'm definitely doing some rulies on unaged overproof. And then I'd probably do one of the cane juice rums. So Mm -hmm. probably right now, Cherami, I I, I would throw them in there. They're, They're unaged rum, just their standard one. And then... Richland, I already said they would be in mine. Privateer, I think, has to be in there. And how many am I up to? Is that like, I think I've already done like I five. At, <laughs> I think you're at four or five. Gosh, I lost okay. count. Yeah. If you do two from Louisiana, I think you're at five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then the last one I put in is Montagna uh, and and maybe Maggie's Farm. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, it's a, it's a seven rum flight. It's a, it's a big one. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what about you? I think I'm, I'm pretty close. You know, like you said, know your audience. If this is a person who yeah. is a rum head, I'm going to pick certain things like Kohana or Kuliana to start with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like you said about the Louisiana, I would agree with you there. Um, but if this is a person who is less familiar with rum and I'm trying to give them the idea of what rum can be, mm-hmm. I think I'm actually going to go with the, the, the more broad things. Like, so I would maybe do like Kaloa and okay. the Bayou. You, yeah. and Richland and Privateer mm-hmm. and that already gets me to four so maybe something like Montaigne yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know th- th- it just really depends on who the audience is but just to give you a counterpoint because I agree with you I'd probably pick the ones you picked if it's if it's a rum geek mm-hmm. but if it's not that's the way I would go instead just those those larger ones maybe that they can also find on the shelf which is also nice mm-hmm. I've learned through doing some of this that I pour things for people and then they go where can I buy it and I say you can't and you know <laughs> yeah, give me a, that's a, true a that's a good look. point so yeah there's there's that but uh yeah it's just it's a lot of American rum out there and that is a great thing yeah it's 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 exciting I think that's what's interesting to me about the category is like there's just so much going on that even if only five percent of it ends up being really good that's still like I don't know you know it's like 20 something distilleries that are making really good rum so you have to search to find the gems and you certainly can wade through a lot of 
mediocre to bad stuff to get there um, mediocre yes, just, I, I mean you know it's just the the facts it's true um, it's true that that's true of any spirit category in the u.s there's so many craft distilleries that like even if i was talking about craft whiskey in the u.s a lot of it is like really mediocre or bad but there's right. also some really good stuff that's right. just when there's so many people doing it who are all new to yes. the discipline and they're not all new some people come to craft distilling with experience but a lot of people right. are doing it for the first time so yeah and just to be clear if we didn't talk about it doesn't mean we think it's a mediocre mediocre yeah. rum we're just saying like we couldn't get to them all can't uh, get but to there no to your point of the five or seven hundred that are out there a good <laughs> chunk of those are those mediocre rums that you just kind of have to try for yourself before you really figure it out yeah or you know try to look online and see what some of the rum geeks think or or mm-hmm. you know however you can kind of get your information. But we feel like the ones we did talk about today are good examples of American rum that you can invest your time in if you find them on your shelf locally or happen to be in those areas and you're traveling to those areas and can find them. So yeah. And yep. we'd love to hear um, from the listeners. What are your oh, yeah. what have your experiences been with American rum? Let us you know know ones that you've tried that have stood out, or if you struck out, let us know. We'll try to point you in the direction <laughs> of something that's distributed in your area. But yeah, an exciting category that I think we're going to continue to see a lot of interesting stuff from. Just like in a lot of these other countries, I mentioned like places in Europe, we're starting to see have smaller craft type distilleries like this. I'm excited to see what comes out of those in the next decade or two. So, John, with with all that said, I think we can wrap this one up yeah let's do it so let's make sure we talk about patreon with people so the patreon's doing awesome we have our next gathering soon i think is that march March 29th 29th. yeah Yeah. our next happy hour for our cast strength patrons as we mentioned earlier in the middle of the episode now doing annual subscriptions we just turned those on so if you subscribe annually you can save 10 percent. it's basically like getting a little more than one month free when you do it at, at either tier level so it, it's been a, like a year of patreon it's been so much yeah. cooler than i thought it would be just like having that extra layer of community and like getting to hang out with listeners on the happy hour and i mean so many of our listeners are extremely knowledgeable about rum a lot of people on the happy hours are also making rum it's just a cool yeah. fun thing we do once a month now so you can go to patreon.com slash the rumcast to check that out p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the rumcast as always you can also find us on social media john where's the best best place to do that at the rumcast on instagram's probably our most our biggest platform right now is instagram and then facebook as well we do post on twitter but we don't do much else on twitter so you can find us there give us a dm if you want to contact us through there host at rumcast.com if you want to email us with something you want to talk about or tell us what you thought about like will said what did we miss what what are some things that we should be paying attention to in american rum we would love to hear more about that from from people so definitely get a hold of us let us know what's going on or if there's something else you want to hear us talk about yeah please let us know we're always open to hearing what what we should be covering so i think that that's it will we'll uh we'll see everybody next time and thank you so much for listening thanks everyone